Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can visit us on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right. Awesome show today. I am so pumped. We did the same type of show last year, uh, the Netflix State of the Union. So this will be the 2021 edition. Uh, a lot different, I hope, than last year's in terms of uh, we did the episode, and then three weeks later, we're in lockdown, so everything we probably said it goes right out the window, um, <laughs> even though Netflix came you know, storming through with plenty of movies, plenty of content. A lot of what we talked about held serve, at least like coming out. Uh, a lot of studios can't say that, so at least we have that in our pocket, but uh, last year, we did this episode with our buddy, also Mike, from Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and he is back with us today so thank you for being here sir thank you for having me back i am uh having a great time jumping on a nomcast every month it seems now it's like uh, a regular occurrence i everybody i know everybody everybody knows me it's cool yeah. <laughs> i think uh you know i think i'm gonna have some some dictums that i want you to you know some mantras perhaps that i that i need to get across <laughs> to you and your audience heading in to the crux of this award season because i let, let's be honest i had to talk you off a few ledges i don't know if i did a great job but i i tried to talk you off a few ledges uh, heading into this uh, recording today so this is going to be a high stakes uh, oscars discussion <laughs> in the middle of this episode before we you know do more of the preview stuff well, this is the beauty of this show. First and foremost, thank you, sir. I know this is your busy time of year. Award season is in full swing, mm -hmm. and Mike, Mike, and Oscar covers everything to the point of you're now having fights amongst you and your co-host, Mike One, of oh, yeah. like, hey, uh, we can't cover the uh, production <laughs> design exclusively to Hawaii awards or whatever, <laughs> to some weird precursor that nobody knows but you. Set um, Designers uh, Association, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, <laughs> so it was beautiful to hear you guys uh, going back and forth on that. It's always fun to hear you guys <laughs> both going at it uh, when it comes to something that is you're so passionate. That's the beauty of it. You guys know everything, and that's why you're here. Um, but the, uh, the, the beauty of this episode is that we're going to do it in three parts. Mm -hmm. We're going to do... Uh, kind of cover what we did say last year, what we thought was going to happen last year, and what we were assuredly going to be wrong about uh, from last year's episode. <laughs> then we'll get into kind of, uh, of course, with you here. We're going to set the table, talk a little uh, current awards talk, uh, especially after Critics' Choice happened Sunday, of which the talking offset ledge occurred. Uh, and then, uh, you know, PGA is a bunch of other things came out. So we're starting to get some more information. So we'll talk about that briefly. And then we're going to preview 2021 like we did last year with the 2020 films. And uh, like I said to you off air, we're, we have a great list, a bunch of good stuff here. Uh, but I will say that it is going to be half probably of the puzzle that we're going to look at because Netflix is always buying stuff, always trying to get into the mix by 
acquiring uh, the latest and greatest, or even things that they announced that were filming, and you're like, ah, it's not coming out in 2021. Surprise, <laughs> comes out in 2021 and ends up in the Oscar race. So we will start off with the notes from 2020 episode. And so, Mike, I, I think we did a good job. I, I recently re-listened to the episode from last year. Mm-hmm. And even though, like I said, we were three weeks away from a lockdown, we didn't know was coming. <laughs> but we did, I think, a tremendous job with what was available to us and kind of forecasting what was to come. But there were a couple of funny moments, a little cheeky moments that I was like, oh, yeah, that uh, <laughs> that didn't go to plan. So here's a few highlights for you. I know you weren't able to kind of listen back uh, recently, but here's a few highlights. The the year of Ana Diarmas <laughs> was supposed to be kicking off with Sergio uh, back in, I think that was probably soon to come out mm-hmm. after we talked. I think it was like a March or April release. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen uh, because No Time to Die never happened. Deep Water never happened. Uh, and then a movie we're going to preview later, Blonde, never happened. Uh, the Marilyn Monroe biopic. So, yeah, it just didn't happen, homie. That was one of four releases uh, that came out. And Sergio was not her film. So, you know, she was uh, just just there. And I think uh, was Wasp Network she was also in. So it would have been five. I blacked Wasp Network out <laughs> of my brain. But I will proclaim that 2021 will be El Año de, de Armas for, for her there's no doubt in my mind it's happening. Uh, there's nothing that will uh, rain down upon us that will stop this. Uh, no, like I mean, she was a newly minted star coming out of Knives Out. She was coming out in a Bond movie kicking ass in that preview looking so uh, cool in that black dress. She was uh, coming out going to play Marilyn Monroe. She was going to play Marilyn Monroe. And then she was going to come out in this like throwback to the 90s erotic thriller are you kidding me we're two yeah. we're two red-blooded men we can't help it i mean <laughs> jesus christ she was in most of our thoughts most of the time at that moment in time so we're looking forward to all of these films or most of these films to come out still and the fact that they're being moved around the release schedule does tell us that you know these films are going to hit and they're gonna they're probably going to be be uh successful yeah listen i mean she's still in the public consciousness because of deep water that never even came out because she and ben affleck started dating it was a big thing dude and affleck had a busy year enough what was that movie that was just like a random 2014 film or 20 knock knock with keanu reeves she had a hit this year (laughs) that's right that was just like a netflix top top 10 hit that everybody was talking about and it was a it was a retread of this movie that did not do well in theaters or with critics from eli roth right and it was a crazy ass movie go watch (laughs) it on netflix folks and uh it wasn't the night clerk also this year too the night clerk I, I missed that one was that is that an original movie or is that the uh, show that's not that a, was on it's AMC? not a netflix original that's okay. uh, that was another one of those like netflix it, it came to netflix and blew up but it was on the armist uh go look it up it's a, we're not going to believe it something in common with all of these movies it's on the yes. armas so el, el el año de de armas it's happening and we keep mentioning that these things blow up on Netflix. So the movie we preview later, there's going to be a lot of buzz, I'm sure. Um, another uh, prediction sure to go wrong. 
this was going to be the year of the musicals. Um, you know, so uh, because you know that Netflix had the prom, which I thought was going to do bigger than it did. Um, though it did get enough attention at the time, had some Golden Globe nominations, sure. so it didn't fail. But it wasn't exactly like in the best picture conversation or anything like that right now. But we were also supposed to get In the Heights, mm-hmm. West Side Story, you know. So again, only one of those three came out, the Netflix picture, and it didn't go to plan. So of course, my bad. Well, but it's your bad because of the pandemic happened. I mean, it was going to be the year of the musicals and it did get pushed off. So this will be the year of the musicals then. Yeah, I mean, Again, so we can ne- just delay our prediction. So we're not wrong. We just haven't been proven right yet. Correct. And of <laughs> course, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda is doubling down this year uh, after In the Heights got pushed back. Plus, as we said, preview episode, ladies and gentlemen, he has a movie, mm-hmm. his directorial debut coming out for Netflix that we'll talk about later. Um, and then a few things that we were kind of getting right. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say uh, that, you know, when we talked about kind of the Oscars look back, because at this point last year, the Oscars that were already done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had some some nominations that came through. They had 24 nominations, only two wins. And we kind of like we're doing, you know, the look back of like what they have coming forward, but also like what happened at the Oscars. Uh, one of the things that I said was that Netflix may be gun shy to go for expensive prestige films like The Irishman again because of Parasite's win and the prior best pictures in the last decade being like mid-budget at best. And then what happened this year? Now, again, a little bit of you know luck, I guess, with the pandemic that they weren't exactly going for broke on some of these maybe, but Chicago 7, Ma Rainey, Mank, Pieces of a Woman, Defy Bloods, all less than 56 mil per, I... I think that's the way to go, and that might be the way it goes forward because even in our preview to come later, I don't see anything that's going to cost a huge amount of money. They did not necessarily apply the tentpole budget to – they didn't apply the tentpole budget to anything in this particular year. They're going to apply the tentpole budget uh, down the line for some major properties. Are they Oscar properties? Are they VFX vehicles? You know, we'll talk about it with the Gray Man, etc. Down the line, yeah. I mean, those those are going to make their mark. Uh, they yeah. obviously made big content, big money deals with content creators, even though Scorsese doesn't like that term. Uh, but the yes. Ryan Murphys, etc., they got their big deals this past year. But you're right; they spread money around on on thirty million dollar projects, fifty million dollar projects, and it's going to manifest itself down that oscar tally that will go over in this middle segment so it worked what they did worked to a degree again the mantras are going to come in i'm going to help you get past what you need to get past (laughs) as we go there sounds good um (laughs) also at the time we were kind of referring to some of the movies that came out in our preview episode it's like the big three with like a wild card that you threw in there at one point um (laughs) I would say that it ends up being the big one, maybe out of the four, right. uh, with a sprinkle of maybe two. Maybe two. Um, so the big three at the time, before all the acquisitions they did and everything else, the big three was Mank, Defy Bloods, and Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> and- <laughs> now, what I will do, and, and the, the wild card you said, was the Hitchcock remake of Rebecca. Now, to <laughs> your credit, obviously- you know, 
you never know with a remake. And I said that to you in the episode. I was like, usually remakes are more like they're popular, but they're not in the Oscar conversation. It's like very rarely will you see, you know, besides something like A Stars Born that's been like done four times, uh, that that was a fluke kind of in a way to to get into the best picture and to remake Hitchcock to do it. That that would have been a big big deal if that actually landed, but um, it did not really. It uh, did not be beyond like the pretty picture that it made, and it yes. was it was beautiful production design. I, I would still say like production design, costumes. It probably deserves to be in the mix, and I think if the the film wasn't completely you know impaled by critics, it would have had more of a chance. Uh, and then, of course, Army Hammer would have derailed that chance as, yes. as of the last few months. But, like, Hillbilly Elegy could still make its mark this award season with Glenn Close. Of course, it could still make its mark in makeup and hair, uh, as, we'll, as we'll go over. So, I mean, Hillbilly sure. Elegy's not out yet, even though I do have a lot of hate in my heart for that particular <laughs> film for a lot of reasons right. that you you mentioned that I mentioned in that previous episode in the pre-show recording. So I was glad to hear that I had some instincts. I had some sonar about Hillbilly, Hillbilly Elegy based on my audiobook um based yes. on my audiobook taste, I guess you could, you would say, but The Five Bloods is still very much alive and so and obviously Mank is going to be a nomination juggernaut at the very least. So right. we were on point and we had no idea they would make as many acquisitions as they did and that they could make as many acquisitions as they did. It was very fortuitous for them throughout this year that they could be opportunistic and, and purchase what they did. Yeah. And what I will say though, if Netflix doesn't make the money and this is a wild card throw at you on, on the spot here, but <laughs> I think if they went for the year that this was their slate, of what we talked about at the time, that's a tough beat. Like if Mank was the the big throw and they're going to get like a bunch of nominations and not really get the wins and right. not have a chance really at best picture, at least it looks like at this point, man, that would it would have been a much softer year than what we're talking about with them and, and what we'll talk about in our awards conversation in a minute. But mm-hmm. wow, it would have been a very different conversation, which is why when we when we get to the previews later just understand everybody we know that this is probably at best like half the conversation 60 percent of the conversation well that's what's why it's fun too because we're we're speculating we're looking forward to things we're we're hoping things will be great not just good but yeah. great because that's you know the nature of an oscars conversation which is what mike and i you know love to love so often because we are so hopeful i mean that moviegoers prayer just please let it be good. Just please. Right. We <laughs> yeah. want, we just want these movies to be good because we want to watch great movies. We want to study great movies, which you come on our show and do so often and which, you know, we're able to do together so often. So this is such a, a, a process of when we're crushed by a film that doesn't meet our expectations. I mean, it's from a point of view of, we are snobs at Mike, Mike and Oscar, <laughs> and I am a particular snob. But no, it's you know we just have such high expectations. So this is going to be an interesting uh, session because we did this last year. We got ourselves all hyped up. I think Mike and I have done less preview shows in the past because we've gotten ourselves so hyped up. This I I am going to be a bit more measured when we get to that segment. Just as a little tease, I, I really yeah. think so. 
I think the fact that, yeah, you're right. Because we did this last year, I am less like anxious. Like, oh my God, you know? Right. Because I know that this is only so much. And I'll be honest, Mike, to kind of tease what we're going to come up on. There's a bunch of stuff that sounds intriguing, but I don't know if, if like, say, this time last year, you tell me that there's going to be a, a new Fincher movie. That really gets me going. A new right. Spike Lee movie, that really gets me going. This is a little bit of a different bag in terms of what's coming through. So, you know, is there stuff that excites me? Sure. But is it any where it's like, this is my favorite director right now? Yeah. No. Well, so... Look There's at that. some of these elevator pitch Oscar movies, right, of the last few years. The Shape of Water. I mean, obviously, Guillermo <laughs> del Toro's got his lovers out there. But if you pitch that movie to me in the elevator, I'm probably not saying best picture. If you pitched no. Nomadland to me in the elevator, if that is indeed the favorite right now, there's no on no planet is, are we thinking that that is the, uh, the best picture winner. So, yeah, look, I mean, we're going to go through some some – fascinating plot premises and uh you never know is all i'm saying you never know who makes the great movie out of the uh the strange story yeah i think that now uh is a good time to to get to where we are because you know a lot of things that we were saying back then with the big three and and the wild card and any of these films that we are excited about we're trying to kind of you know see where they might land do they have beck's best picture thoughts do they have oh my god this is going to be a cinematography uh play this is going to be a costume play um a lot of the movies that are up for them right now are movies that we didn't talk about in the last episode (laughs) between chicago 7 ma rainey those movies are probably doing the best for them in terms of hopes for winning oscars right now Mm -hmm. um and those were not on the radar at this time last year so it's wild uh, to think about. Um, but here we are. And as of today, we're recording on March 8th. A lot of things have happened uh, between Golden Globes have happened, Critics' Choices happened, uh, and and Oscar nominations are right around the corner for next week, which we will have an episode for everybody who likes to plan ahead as much as Mike and I do. Next week, we're going to do uh, an Oscar nom Netflix-focused recap show with our buddies uh at is it worth it podcast excellent uh, i was on their uh, road to the oscars segment about best director so uh get them on they're from uh, in the uk there so it's it should be a lot of fun but we were kind of going over the nominations or what we think might be the nominations mike and it's it's feeling a little like last year it's feeling a little bit like I know, and, and this is why you were trying to talk me off the ledge with Critics' <laughs> Choice. But if the tea leaves that I'm reading right now, it feels like an insane amount of nominations because they spread the wealth and made a bunch of movies or acquired a bunch of movies that have them right in the center of most races uh, throughout the card. But mm-hmm. when it comes to the big six, the big eight, you know, the top ones that everybody loves, maybe two, maybe. And this is where you're like, calm the hell down. But I think to me, one is a lock and one is debatable, but it's probably the strongest chance in Chadwick Boseman for best actor and best original screenplay for Sorkin feels pretty good. But other than that, I don't feel good about the rest of the the slate there. 
Well, I don't know how good you should feel about original screenplay to just take the rug <laughs> and rip it out underneath you. But all right, this is the this is the mantra portion of the episode. So please repeat after me. It is an honor. It is an honor. Just to be nominated. <laughs> just to be nominated. It and ain't apparently- over. No, I'm not done. It ain't over. <laughs> it ain't over. Till it's over. So I, I give you a yeah. I give you anyway. All right, look. I, I think right. <laughs> I number one. I think this is a long award season, and Mike and I were just talking about it in our last episode, where we're wondering how consensus builds this year. Yeah, and we are coming off of the Critics' Choice and the Hollywood Foreign Press Awards. They don't have a track record that is overwhelmingly strong, where their winners go on and win the Oscars more than the typical 60 to 70%. I mean, Mike and I just compared all the precursors. We did stats on the last 10 years of all the precursors, and they all have the same darn stats. I mean, it sure. all it's amazing how it winds up being that way. But when you think about the think tank of how these, these actual voting politics work, it makes some sense because each award season affects each other it affects itself in a way and consensus is building between these these uh these groups in, in unique ways uh and it depends on timelines it depends on on the calendar it depends on on these films so i do believe that the trial of the chicago seven is still a major contender in many categories even if nomad land is seemingly uh gaining a, a ton of momentum and especially as a ton of momentum as a safe pick in the sense that Nobody's upset about Nomadland winning these awards that they're making a big stink over. And people, right. for the most part, people are like artistically pleased that Nomadland is winning. So there is some pushback from Mike Mike Oscar, especially about the trial of Chicago 7. There is some pushback against Mank. There is some pushback uh, against these, some of these other Netflix contenders. So on the one hand, they may seem to have an uphill battle right now, but on the other, you know, at the end of the day, if you get a pa- if you get the passionate support, that's what's going to matter. And we saw that manifest itself last year with Parasite. We saw right. we saw how that it probably didn't even need the preferential ballot, as Mike has you know, as Mike has postulated uh, just today, for that matter. So the Ch- Chicago Seven has felt like a, a, a best picture winner of the past for them to revert. To a movie like that, to to a movie that's so impeccably paced, the movie yeah. that has that has the narrative momentum that just won't stop, the, to a movie that has itself saying the right things throughout that film and paying deference to uh, the, the the right characters throughout that film. To again, is it the perfect movie of the moment? I don't believe it is, but it, it it's a hands down obvious preferential ballot contender i don't know how you could argue otherwise which is also a different voting apparatus than we've seen already we it's very different than 87 guys at the hfpa you know voting this is very different (laughs) than 450 critics voting this is preferential balloting this is power rankings and you know something like nomadland might have polarization that we're not seeing uh, at least within the bodies at the end of the day. So Trial of the Chicago 7 might be that steady Eddie third on everybody's board. Yeah, I mean, the guilds notoriously will tell us more 
than the critic stuff because critics don't pick the Oscars. And right. so, you know, PGA, which came out today, uh, will tell us a little bit of something that's just the nominations, of course, though. And, you know, SAG, uh, you know, DGA, all those things, you know, the more specific stuff, Writers Guild, all that will give us definitely a lot more to chew on going forward. Um, but I do agree with a lot of what you're saying, uh, even though, like I said, you know, I, I was a little more uh, verklempt, a little more uh, tight after the Critics' Choice Awards and some of the other stuff going forward. Because, uh, you know, a lot of like we've talked about the voting bodies, especially in a year like this where everything was so fragmented and had fits and starts in terms of release dates and, and mm-hmm. when people got to watch them and, and what is collecting a narrative in a year without box office uh, results to go to, you kind of need something to chew on. And, you know, Oscar voting period was during some of these things where maybe they're relying on these critical bodies mm-hmm. to kind of give them what to look at. So, you know, if you're seeing like Nomadland win a bunch or if you're seeing, you know, uh, some of these other films filling in the picture, well, then maybe the Netflix films get a little lost in the shuffle because maybe they've already watched them because they have Netflix. And now they're watching all the they're catching up with the ones that maybe they didn't watch throughout the year that went straight to VOD or had a limited box office run, you know, a theater run before it went to VOD, any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now you're seeing a little bit of a different story. But to me, I just see, like, a bunch of undercard wins. By the way, you're saying Hillbilly Elegy still has a chance in hair and makeup. Uh, I want to vomit. I, I Like, to <laughs> me, it's it's Ma Rainey or Mank or Bust. If you tell me Hillbilly Elegy beats any of those two that is ridiculous i'm saying it's got a chance for a nomination like i don't sure. need my hairstyle nominated at the academy awards i really <laughs> i really need a haircut and i have the meme yeah, it's a fine perm right. you have there yeah, it, it's it's rough i need to wear a hat as i am now but look i do think uh, i do think the producers guild kind of hurt to five bloods today and to five bloods is kind of an example of what you were talking about with how screeners and how the Academy and how the voting is, is, is referencing Netflix and, and looking at Netflix. I think a major point of conversation that you and I have had all year that Mike and I have had all year about is about how Netflix has ramped up these campaigns, right? For the, yeah. this Oscar campaign. And they had Chicago seven out in October, months earlier than a typical Oscar release would go, but they did it with a purpose. They did it for uh, a certain anniversary there. They had... Uh, well, it was the election cycle, too, right. that it was a demand. Thank you. So th- 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 we had uh, Defy Bloods trying to seize a moment back when the world was uh, just going through a lot uh, in the spring. And, and Spike Lee has talked about it since then. That was deliberate. Again, yeah. trying to, you know, get people find an audience when the audience needed a film like 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 these. Then we have, you know, Mank, the rest of your slate eschewing the film festivals, and now what do we got as you know front runners right now in a lot of these categories? We got these. Uh, we got a movie like Nomadland who played the film festival circuit perfectly and who built up till uh, to a crescendo to the voting time 
when it would get released nationally. And that's typically how these go. Another major research project that Mike and I did this year was to under, and it was totally worthless in the sense that this year was not like any other year and the release right. calendar didn't matter. But we researched the release calendar and we wanted to know when Oscar winners, Oscar nominations were being released. And of course, as you'd imagine, November and December for a typical year, when Oscars are in February or March, November and December mattered most. They populated the statistics most. And there was an ascension, October, November, and December, with you know, other examples throughout the, uh, you know, the release schedule, but that was the money time for the Oscars. And now we're seeing late breakers like Judas and the Black Messiah. We'll see if the father can catch some momentum later on, but it's coming out after the voting period. It's all about this voting period. Now what's in front of the critics as curators is one thing, but it's very different, but you know, what's in front of the industry voters. And again, you got to I mean, if you, you know, you're covering the Oscars, understand what the Academy is. It's the creme de la creme of the industry. It's the former awards winners. It's the best of the best of the business in their particular branches. So they will receive what the critics tell them as curators, right? They will receive what film Twitter and, you know, sometimes, sometimes it affects them. Sometimes it works. They will receive all the film festival darlings and then it's their turn to react and they can, take that permission that the HFPA or that the critics choice gives them to vote for those films, or they can reject. And we've seen them go both ways. I mean, last year at this time, once upon a time in Hollywood, it's not this time, but coming off the critics choice, once upon a time in Hollywood, won critics choice, we right. had 1917, you know, taking the, the shocking prize at the Golden Globes. And obviously, yep. both those things didn't happen. You had from the outside lane, from a different lane than it's typical, Parasite going for Best Picture. So just because Nomadland's in the lead now does not mean it's going to be there at the end of the day. And I have a lot of stories, especially going back to the past to movies like Chicago 7, where a, a film like that has come down the center right down the center and one from there. So it's, it's still very possible. That was a long rant by me, but it's still very possible. My friend. <laughs> no, a lot of good information there, uh, my friend, and, and a lot of good information you put in our, in our shared document for this episode too, where, you know, as you mentioned, it is an honor to be nominated and Netflix <laughs> last year, we, we mentioned 24 nominations and only two wins on the night. Um, I think they will have better fortunes this come around and they have to because they might get 40 to 45 <laughs> nominations, Mike. This is insane. They really spread the wealth. But as we noted last year with the, you know, Irishman, Marriage Story, a lot of different movies. Like, you know, they had a small campaign for Dolomite My Name. They had mm -hmm. all kinds of things that they were trying to put their money and their backing into. This one, there's even more movies that they have to back. So it, it's still being separated instead of having that one unifying film that they're going to try to put all their weight behind, which I'm hoping, you know, happens one day, but it's not the strategy right now for well, sure we have said since the beginning of, of you and i talking together we have greatly respected netflix's willingness to patron so many artists and so yeah. many new artists and shepherd these projects from debuts from you know one filmmaker after another that we're just excited that they're new blood in the industry and once you know, campaign season hit, 
you know, Netflix's, uh, their party line has always been that we're pushing each one of these equally, even to their detriment at times, because we were like, wait, why aren't they pushing the Irishman more? Or why aren't yeah. they even saying that they're pushing there? No, they're pushing all. And this, this is proof of the pudding or proof in the pudding. This is the pudding. <laughs> like they, they're going to have, I mean, if you look at Scott Feinberg's forecast, the last one, and maybe he's coming out with a new one, probably I'm guessing in a day or two, maybe when this is released, he'll have, you know, post BAFTA, DGA, PGA, etc. critics choice forecast. But as of the last one, 45 nominations are in his fives and or 10 in, in the best picture 45 nominations 24 last year 45 now and the most impressive thing about this andrew to me every single category but one has a netflix movie or multiples in, in most cases in those fives the only category is live action short there were, there's amazing. no Netflix movie. That is the most amazing thing to me, where they're just campaigning across the board. What an apparatus! Whoever, I'm so impressed with uh, you know the overall Oscar campaigning. So again, I do say, man, like this is the the serious part. It is an honor to be nominated, especially when you're being nominated most likely well over 40 times this uh, i mean i made a lot of trades and you saw i, I wrote like a whole page on what <laughs> yes. fun, what scott has what i have what you know what i want in terms of rooting interests and i don't know if you want to go over that but i i mean you can make about 10 or 12 trades of what's in and what's out and what might and what won't be but i i tell you i, I think it's still over 40 at the end of the day i mean we're going to calculate it up next monday man it's going to be a lot yeah for sure and and what I think the the three biggest ones, and you, you wrote it down specifically. I'll only touch on those. Speed Cubers needs to make it for documentary short, or we burn everything down to the ground. It is not even a debate. If you haven't seen it, it it's what twenty five thirty minutes. Watch this short. Yes. It will make you like just you'll be sweating tears the next day because you'll have so many your body can't handle it and we'll have to come out with more um the other thing is Del justice for delroy lindo he deserves to be in the top five yes, i still think you know chadwick should win but delroy acted his ass off that was capital a acting all the way through for mm -hmm. a character that you know, isn't a lovable character either. Like, it's not like some rally cry for a character that we identify with. It's a character that no one should identify with, <laughs> and yet he killed it in a movie that I, I think is a, a good film, but it's not a great film, And but he is the biggest part about it, and he sucks up all the oxygen in a great way. He is in the frame all the time, just eating it up, these big monologues, amazing performance he should be there and also we we covered this one together dick johnson is dead mm -hmm. needs to be in documentary feature uh you know because to me uh, it's the better of the two of that in crip camp and there's some late love for my octopus teacher and some of these other ones and to me dick johnson is the best we are actually very good about that in our preview from last year we did nailed down that Crip Camp and Dick Johnson is Dead was the most appealing mm -hmm. uh, and and that the release dates were signaling that Dick Johnson was going to be the biggie because they put it later in the year. And I think we, we called that appropriately. But then, as you noted, every single year, because you cover these Oscars very closely, 
none of th- nothing about documentary feature makes sense any particular year. The front runners uh, always end up in the back or off the slate, um, not even getting nominated half the time. So um, this is par for the course, but it makes me very angry <laughs> as I was very invested. You can't read the precursor award shows with documentary feature and then translate that over with the same kind of typical 70% accuracy that you can translate most other categories in. I mean, we just looked at it today, Mike and I, uh, documentary feature at the uh, Producers Guild of America. It's three out of the last 10 years. Now, right. let, let, let's be honest here. Dick Johnson is dead, could get the kiss of death and win that pr- PGA award <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's nominated there. But my octopus teacher is nominated in both spots and, DGA does not have Crip Camp today. So, like, I am worried that Crip Camp or Dick Johnson is dead. They're vulnerable. But now I'm starting to worry that they're both vulnerable and that Gunda's going to take it all and that I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and, 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 and I spent all this year watching like 80 documentaries, 90 documentaries. I literally watched that many. And it was the year of the documentary. I loved so many of these. I love the short list of 15 that they chose at the end of the day. I would say, let's let's put it, be honest, I love maybe 12 out of those 15. A couple <laughs> of them I can do away with. But I tell you, man, if anybody tells you that they know exactly what's happening in best documentary feature, either they they know they know a bunch of people in that branch who are telling them, <laughs> you know, and it could be they it could be they're telling them their uh, ballots directly or uh, they're guessing and they're basically guessing against the grain of the precursors because that something's going to happen. We do it every year where these fa- these critical favorite documentaries and this year it's Crip Camp or Dick Johnson. I mean, they're both very high for us. They get snubbed at the end of the day, and that that it's that it's playing out again, man. So I would be worried if as part of Netflix right now uh, about those two in particular. And you, you you never know; it might be the third, my octopus teacher, that does get in. Even though some pundits I really respect are vehemently ag- not against, but they're they're predicting against my octopus teacher. Even though like, I think we both kind of like that one too. Yeah, uh, for for anyone uh, who is interested in the documentary feature category, definitely go back and listen to our episode, our very deep episode on everything that was in contention, especially for Netflix. Uh, with we did the full review of Dick Johnson and then kind of covered the whole landscape uh, yeah. at the time. And so go back and listen to that one. But that was, of course, a much better time before award season started to break our brains. So, you know, that was a more enthusiastic and healthy uh, just love for how good documentaries have been this year because it has been a tremendous year. Um, but like you said, I think this year feels like a whole lot of nominations uh a decent amount of undercard wins and we'll see where the rest of the the chips may lie for for netflix in this award season but i think after we're going to take a quick break and then after that we are going to come back and we're going to preview the stuff be a little more optimistic because these movies are not yet in the awards conversation these are the movies of 2021 that we think might have the legs, might have the goods to get them to Oscars in 2022. So come right back. Forgotten Cinema is getting romantic for our eighth season and just in time for Valentine's Day as we cover the 90s ensemble drama, Beautiful Girls. We'll then do a complete 180 as we dive into some spy films, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy and Spy Game. 
We'll find out why white men can't jump and whether you should shoot to kill while enjoying a Frankenweenie. Nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? This season will also feature our 100th episode of Forgotten Cinema. Feels like 100 years. Don't I know it. Forgotten Cinema. Never stop, never stopping. Yes, that's a hint. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, we're back. I am so excited for this section because this is where we get to be optimistic about the outlook for Netflix for this upcoming year. Like I said before, Mike, you know, when we did this last year, so many movies that ended up in our best of the year list were not mentioned whatsoever. So this is going to be surely um, mildly embarrassing, potentially, <laughs> when we talk about this stuff next year. But hopefully, because uh, some of these movies really intrigue me, that I'm hoping they do have the goods going forward. And Netflix, the one thing that I was looking for this year, because, you know, in, in 2019, they had Scorsese, Noah Baumbach, you know, these big-time directors coming through that w- people wanted to see, big-time mm-hmm. talent. And then... 2020 it's fincher it's spike lee and we're starting to see like okay we got more and more who was gonna be the 2021 version of this and i don't know if it's as big of the names as i said but there are some of the people who i truly admire in terms of creators that i think would make excellent additions to the netflix library and the first movie we have coming up is exactly that uh it's a director who i love um he directed one of my favorite movies of the decade in the 2010s in the big short i am talking about talladega night no yeah (laughs) (laughs) wrong decade sir um but yeah adam mckay uh is awesome And he is a guy who, you know, while not winning, uh, is a person that has been in the Oscar conversation before with, like I said, the big short. He had Vice in the conversation a couple years ago. You know, he definitely steps up to the plate, which is wild to think of, because as you said, he was basically tethered to Will Ferrell for a very long time, uh, being involved in Funny or Die, plus making things like Anchorman and Step Brothers before he became an Oscar or award season darling. It's a very interesting time in his career, and the film Don't Look Up, uh, that Netflix put in their giant sizzle reel that they came out with a couple months ago, ended on this movie... It, so it seems, especially based on the stars, the cast of this movie is insane um, that they definitely want this movie to be the big deal. So to set it up for everybody, this is a story of two low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. And to me, it seems like a very timely film uh, in terms of like, kind of in a fake news slant that like i guess 
the the slant here is that nobody believes them and that you know it's it you know they're not trusting science yada yada you see the big hammer being swung on our heads right now and mm. beating ourselves mm. over the heads with this uh, <laughs> this theme here which i'm all about because adam mckay knows how to ride that line yes. and i trust him if he could t- make a movie like the big short and make that stuff interesting and compelling and, and make a very quality film out of it i don't think that this will miss but of course always set to be wrong that's why previews are awesome because we get to be so enthusiastic but mike this cast list is what blew me away yes awesome i mean like leonardo dicaprio and jennifer lawrence were that last shot of the sizzle reel yes um, you know and <laughs> and and then that's just the the tip of the iceberg you have chris evans Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet, Jonah Hill, Ron Perlman, Mark Rylands, Ariana Grande, and Matthew Perry's return to the big screen. All of that is wild uh, to me. Uh, you know, and especially what's also wild in a year where Paramount Plus is trying to sell everything uh, to to their streaming service, Paramount Plus trying to to get with the big boys. This is a movie that was originally planned to uh, be a Paramount Pictures production, and then Netflix uh, acquired it in April of 2020 and is now setting it for 2021. Wow. Um, but, Mike, you did a great job of kind of like looking at it through the Oscar prism, so give people kind of why this may have the legs going forward besides all the things that I just mentioned. Well, you, you mentioned the pedigree of the people by just mentioning their names, right? Yes. So I just, you understand their Oscar pedigree just by saying Meryl Streep, just by saying Leonardo DiCaprio. But uh, Adam McKay has had one of those careers where even though he's shifted genres kind of in, in a radical way, uh, you know, going towards satire, I would say is not as radical as some would think, but coming from the, the you know, the farce, kind of uh, improv comedy from from the Will Ferrell stuff to the satire is 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 a fascinating career switch and that I know you said he's tethered to Will Ferrell for a certain part but he's still kind of tethered to him they still work together with succession right I mean they still work together uh and a few things as producers and I, I I would guess Anyway, I would guess that Will Ferrell would at least be a producer on this anyway no they actually just recently broke up. Uh, oh, the, so they the just broke team. up. Yeah, oh yeah. So, all right. I don't, so, I don't think. Don't look back. He, this will picture. fail miserably. And <laughs> no, I, look. I think. Let, let me get into a red flag first, because okay. one red flag, and it is a very petty and silly one for somebody as beautiful as Leonardo DiCaprio. But Jared Leto did the fat ki- killer, whatever, <laughs> right? Killer of John Lennon movie. Uh, okay. Nobody remembers it. You don't remember. I don't remember it. He did that one. And this is, you know, kind of fat, ugly, bearded Leo. I Do see. The pu- does the public want to see, you know, Leo in that light? I don't know necessarily. I don't think he looks too different than his revenant counterpart, like this bearded, nasty, whatever. This at least is him being a button up astronomer, though. It's, we're not diving that far away. So I think the the <laughs> the fact that he's four out of his last five performances being Oscar nominated means more than beard and a little bit of like, I, I think actually it might make us love him more because we're all coming out of the pandemic 20 pounds heavier right 
Right. And you can't be too good looking and funny. We, we, I know this. Uh, I've learned the hard way. No, like we, we know this. Like we, we, our looks help us. No, I'm kidding. Yes. But it was right. right there on a tee. I was going to take it if you didn't. Good job for you. Vice. Vice in 2019 was was nominated eight uh, eight times at one best makeup and hair. The Big Short was nominated five times in 2016, and Adam McKay won uh, as part of that adapted screenplay duo. Uh, Leo is on a, scre- a streak. Four of his last five performances have been Oscar nominated. Seven of his last nine feature films where he has starred have been Oscar nominated, and of course he won for The Revenant. Jennifer Lawrence won for Silver Lining playbook nominated for joy american hustle and winter's bone four noms total even though you know if you look at her imdb you can't really come up with those streaks because she's been in so many big hits and big budget blockbusters as well as these oscar uh vehicles so this movie has the pedigree just in its two stars and its writer director never mind the fact that you look at this ensemble of mark rylance and meryl streep and Kate Blanchett, and, and I mean those Jonah Hill as a former nominee, Tim Timothy Chalamet as as the next big thing. I mean, of course, you're looking at a movie like this as as a a must see, and 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 certainly b uh, as something that you end a sizzle reel with. And the fact that they're still ending a sizzle reel with, you know, an Oscar <laughs> push movie is also a fascinating maneuver because they have the goods otherwise where they could end it with a gray man shot still or you know they can end it with a big budget blockbuster of any sort of any size because they have them yeah i mean we did the whole action film preview early on this year of what's Mm going to come out in 2021 that sizzle reel was hosted by the rock and gal gadot (laughs) and Ryan Reynolds, who are sure. all together in Red Notice. You would have thought that that would have been the the icing on the cake. And they still end on Leo and Jennifer Lawrence. The one thing uh, you didn't mention, though, even though you mentioned the highlight of Jennifer Lawrence, the low light is her last three films, though, with X-Men Dark Phoenix, Red Sparrow, and Mother. Mother being the be- uh, probably the best of the three, and that's a interesting sell to a lot of people so uh i would say this i hope is a big comeback for her um she's also working on another movie with adam mckay uh the elizabeth holmes biopic uh bad blood which is about more silicon valley stuff Mm -hmm. um so it'll be interesting to see which performance maybe rises up but i think these sound more like she's back in the conversation and i'm hoping that this one for Netflix's sake and my sake as a podcaster for uh, their movies ends up being the best of the bunch. If they're ending the sizzle reel, it matters. And, and and you're not wrong to say that Jennifer Lawrence, it's a somewhat of a comeback movie, even though I thought mother was excellent. And I I even thought her performance in red sparrow was pretty terrific. Uh, That movie has ups and downs to it, but yeah, no, nobody can, say anything positive about dark phoenix that movie should be burned at the stake but uh <laughs> otherwise yeah you you're you're looking at a movie uh here that that has all of the hallmarks of that year ahead oscar preview contender and yep. if it's wrong like if we had to bet our lives whether it would be an oscar nominee or not right now we would have to bet yes we would yes. have to bet yeah. oscar nom have to 
it's when they have half the members of SAG in the movie itself, <laughs> I think that they're in good standing to probably get at least the nominations needed to, to be in the conversation. Um, yes, the next film is... I truly believe what you were saying to me off air about this movie, that it may not be like, say, an Oscar picture, but God damn it, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this movie up. This movie is called The Guilty. I believe mm-hmm. it was also part of the sizzle reel uh, that they had. It is directed by Antoine Fuqua, uh, who is, of course, known for Training Day, Southpaw, The Equalizer movies, and mm-hmm. The Magnificent Seven. And it's written... Uh, the adaptation, uh, at least, by Nick Pizzolatto, who made the best season of television I've seen in a long time with season uh, season one of True Detective. So, And he is the creator of that show. He also wrote Magnificent Seven for Fuqua. So this is not the first time they've hooked up. But this is uh, more of like a crime thriller that I'm I'm very interested to hear your take because you've seen... The film that they adapted this from, it's a, it was adapted from a 2018 Danish film of the same name. It is about a demoted police officer assigned to a call dispatch desk that is conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. And and to me, like I think between everybody involved, a very deep cast, uh, Riley Keough, Peter Sarsgaard, Paul Dano, Bill Burr, and Divine Joy Randolph of Dolomite Is My Name yes. uh, coming in here as well. So <laughs> amazingly deep cast, uh, an intriguing adaptation here. So tell me a little bit more about the film that they're adapting it from and what you maybe think might be what we're looking at here. So, A, I, I really loved the 2018 Danish film. It was awesome, and it was such a cool way to pull off this kind of novelty because the guilty is a camera on the principal character in his you know 911 desk right where he's receiving those calls and that's it that's the movie the movie is in one room this is or maybe two rooms but the, it doesn't leave his pov for the right. hour and a half or however long it goes it is a one location film and he has he has voices on the phone, and he has a few people in the office that he interacts with. Now, are they going to do the same thing for this particular version of the movie with Antoine Fuqua and that cast? I, I have never seen him do a movie like Buried and with Ryan Reynolds, or even Locke was a movie like that on the run or on the on the drive driving around. We have uh, Devil was just in the elevator. Twelve Angry Men, of course. Rear Window going all the way back. Rope as a more more of a theatrical style thing. My Dinner with Andre kind of moved around before they sat down at dinner. Panic Room, The Invitation, Green Room, Dogville. Again, there's some movement there this movie was a chamber piece if there ever was one and i doubt that they're gonna i doubt that they're gonna do the same thing that being said it's still a cool ass thriller i want to see jake gyllenhaal pull this off but if you told me that this is nothing but jake gyllenhaal and i would prefer that he has the hairdo from the prisoners i thought that was the coolest hairdo that i could ever pull <laughs> off myself but uh-huh. he, I, I, he's just leaning over a lot and that that little thing is coming across his head anyway cool as hell it's jake gyllenhaal is just a camera on him for an hour and a half he can pull it off like if uh, totally pull it off so antoine fuqua some interesting decisions to make here do they do they basically remake the the guilty the Danish 
thriller with that gimmick or not. And if they remade it with the gimmick, I would say it actually probably has better Oscar chances. So if, if that great cast, they're just voices on the phone, if they're just Zoom calls, you know, playing off, off the video, if they're just a few people in the office, then I would say maybe this is something so new from Fuqua that if he pulls it off, it might it might have the legs at the end of the day, and it definitely might have lead actor upside because it's such a showcase in terms of its uh, its plot. Yeah, and I, I totally goofballed it up front where I didn't mention that this is headed by Jake Gyllenhaal, as you noted, and Ethan Hawke, who loves to work with Antoine Fuqua, obviously notably with Training Day, Brooklyn's Finest, Magnificent Seven, a lot of great pictures that he's done with him already. And like you said, I don't think they have that deep a cast if this is voice work. Um, but we'll see where it, it goes with that. But Jake Gyllenhaal, Netflix all-star Jake Gyllenhaal from, obviously, Okja, Velvet, Buzzsaw. Uh, you know, he loves to work with them. Thank goodness. Keep it going. I appreciate it. I'm here for it. Um, but, yeah, uh, not sure where it lands in awards conversation, but I am definitely here for it. Whether it ends up being, like, more guilty pleasure late in the year like how little things kind of entered the conversation this year <laughs> or whether it's something a little more artsy i don't know but i i'm i'm into it nonetheless one of the things that we did do as opposed to last year neither of us went to sundance because it was in person last year mm-hmm. uh and now in 2021 it was a more virtual setting so you were able to dive deep into that i had a one day pass deal i i am that shows how much better you are than me that's what i'm illustrating for the people but it shows how much more time less of a life how much less of a life <laughs> i have than you it's true uh but one of the films that was notable from that festival was passing uh a, the directorial debut uh from rebecca hall who many people know as an actress from films like the town or the prestige or iron man three if you're an mcu fan um she definitely is a, a notable name that I, I like her performances but obviously we don't know much about her as a d- writer director yet and this is her first foray into that but definitely an intriguing plot with a, a cast that i thought was uh very notable for for being a first-time feature very impressed with who she was able to collect with that uh passing follows the unexpected reunion of two high school friends whose renewed acquaintances ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities uh this is based on the 1929 novella of the same name it's set in that time period it's still it basically for anyone who doesn't know passing refers to the practice of members of minority or oppressed races, religions, ethnic groups, pretending to be white uh, to escape prejudice. And this is something that is near and dear to Rebecca Hall as she has um, she has a biracial grandfather. So she has some of that in her history, but no one would really know. So she can, of course, pass without people really knowing her uh, history of having, you know, part african-american in her blood so this uh spoke to her in a big way and it definitely got some pretty good reviews coming out of uh sundance where it was a grand jury prize nominee it stars tessa thompson ruth nega andre holland bill camp and alexander skarsgård mike you saw this movie what did you think of it and where do you think this will look uh going forward 
Well, I'm going to give it a, a very strong review, but let me let me throw this caveat out there first because Sundance for me was like eight films in a day for, <laughs> yeah. for four of my days because I took a couple off and then I had the weekend. And yeah, I had my first few nights, I had like three movie nights, but you know, th- three or four movies a night, I should say. But I, I think uh, Passing was on one of my big days. So it was, on my, it was like my sixth film of eight or something like that. So this is a first impression. And this is why I believe as a film critic, at least where I'm at as a film critic, I'm not, I'm not at the place where I can, you know, just offer this, you know, authoritative opinion on my sixth <laughs> movie of a day. Because right. you know you're exhausted at that point. You know you're not... You're, you're, you're receiving the film as well as you might. Now, even still, I really enjoyed this film, and I, I think a lot of it. I was in awe. Like, my jaw just dropped at some of the visuals. Like, the cinematography, the production design, the costumes, Ruth Negga herself in that performance, and Tessa Thompson giving a reserve performance, something new that I haven't seen from her uh, in her career thus far. Like, there are superlatives to talk about. I think this is a very controlled, promising debut from Rebecca Hall, who's had an awesome career as an actress. And I just, I come away respecting her so much as as a filmmaker at the end of this that I, I would I will watch anything she does next. Now, she picked a story here that plays out like, kind of minari plays out in the sense that it feels like literature at the end of the day like mm. you'll finish this movie and you'll feel like you just got up from a book and it's not a huge story it's a it's a encapsulated story it works in the two hours but it, it really does feel that way where you, you're coming out of an english class so i don't necessarily know if it's going to be that wow picture at the end of the day uh for you know that the maybe all the viewership in the world it's black and white it's 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 a movie that that goes a little slow in act 2 but i will say act 1 and act 3 striking i mean it, mm. it really it really is a uh it's, it's a feat of storytelling where i think there's ambiguity and mystery to the characters even with what you said and laying it out in the premise but there's clarity to the plot and that is something that as a as a writer, I think you aspire to, and that again, it shows that deft touch that Rebecca Hall does have. And the fact that she can, you know, conduct the orchestra, as Steve Jobs would say in, in the movie, Steve Jobs, written by Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> for, for her to be able to conduct the orchestra and, and lead to so many great production values, it just shows, you know, her, her as a, as a director to watch. So we're going to get more studio fare this coming year. I think if this, movie passing was out in this particular season i think it would be a crafts player i think ruth nega would would have a chance at supporting actress which is a wide open category do do i necessarily think it would have been a shoo-in this particular year no but i i do think it would have been a contender in a lot of top 10 so that's where i'm kind of at with passing but that's again it's a first impression i gotta rewatch it and uh i gotta study it and i think it's gonna be one of those movies that's gonna be worth studying yeah, supporting is going to be really hard this year for when the fact that the French Dispatch will have every single supporting <laughs> actor in the history of mankind. Yeah. If they're not in that picture, they're in, they're in <laughs> Don't Look Up, apparently. Look up. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be a tough to squeeze in there for a smaller picture like this, but I look forward to seeing it myself.
was kicking myself that I, I ended up missing the premiere of that one on my day. So, you know, of course Netflix picked it up. So I don't right get to after the, you missed it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. I, I get to be the, I, I would have been the cool kid just like you just walking <laughs> in going, I've already seen this. Isn't that awesome? Uh, but isn't instead, it insufferably, uh, it's, I, I hope I delivered that review in the least insufferable way possible. Because oh, no, people no, on no. Film Twitter just drive me crazy. Like, Oh God. Anyway, <laughs> Fantastic job by you. Uh, but the next film couldn't be anywhere farther away from this. Uh, this is something that we were kind of talking up front where, you know, last year we thought was going to be the year of the musicals. Now we're adding another musical to the two musicals that got pushed back uh, from 2020 mm-hmm. into 2021. This is Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, the directorial debut by uh, someone who knows a little bit about musicals, uh, Lynn manuel Miranda, uh, you know, jumping into the director's chair here. Of course, he is from Hamilton, Mary Poppins Returns, and the upcoming In the Heights. Uh, it's written by Stephen Levinson, uh, who's done some work on Fosse Verdon and is the uh, creator of Dear Evan Hansen, which should be coming out soon, I believe. Possibly also this year, I think, uh, to add more musicals into the uh, into the circle. Um, it stars Andrew Garfield and Vanessa Hudgens, as well as a- Alexander Ship, Bradley Whitford, and Judith Light. Everybody, Judith Light, uh, you know, showing everyone who's the boss, even into the 21st century. Uh, the story is about John, an aspiring theater composer who is waiting tables in New York City while writing Superbia, which he hopes will be the next great American musical and finally give him his big break. Um, this is produced by Ron Howard and Brian Grazier for Imagine and based on the book by Jonathan Larson. What do you think, Mike? A lot of things to chew on there, but not a lot of uh, like stills or other things that I've seen uh, about this film. So I love Fosse Verdon, number one, FX. Right. Great show. Uh, Sam Rockwell won all the Emmys, deserved them all, won all the TV awards, etc. Uh, I loved Hamilton was obviously the best thing we've had in on Broadway for years. And I came to Disney plus and sorry to shout out Disney plus on the show, but it really was one of the best things of the year. It, it ranks up there of anything I watched with the crown, with the queen's gambit, or that's probably the triumvirate of uh, any things I've watched this particular year, my friend. So Netflix is still two out of the three, but I, <laughs> I do say I do say Hamilton belongs in that triumvirate. But I think we have a, a really exciting time of a lot of great debuts, and there's a lot of there's a lot of confidence in giving actors and movie stars the ability to direct their own films now. And and this is really, this is not as much of a stretch for Lin-Manuel as it is for other others. But I mean, he's obviously shepherded how many musicals now. So I think this is exciting that he gets the chance to just tackle his own project. It could be a huge hit. It could be, it could be a, a, a miss that's still very watchable. I mean, what's the, it's probably got a high it's got a high ceiling and uh, a higher floor, at least in terms of watchability. In terms of Oscars, you know, there's the pedigree there. And we've seen with Regina King this year, if you have that name recognition, doesn't matter necessarily if you're in the debut slot. You don't have to pay your 
do's maybe in the same way. But, you know, look, with the same kind of career, Regina King's directed, you know, 20 different things in in, in mainstream television. Well, Lin-Manuel Miranda has been that on Broadway. He's had a career, you know, just uh, shepherding projects. I don't know if he's necessarily been the director, but I, I believe he has. And he's certainly been the creator and a producer, and he's worked behind the camera. So he has that track record. So could he land this plane and boom get all the nominations in the world for a movie like this absolutely 100 percent. does does this movie seem like it's him writing hamilton <laughs> in the film yeah i think i think everybody will believe that this is uh this is a lin-manuel miranda-esque story of yeah. his, his bad you know so it, it's got that autobiographical uh truth to it so i mean it you know whether obviously it's you know it's adapted but I, I think it does have a ton of potential, no question. Yeah, I wonder if In the Heights is going to steal its lunch money, uh, and depending on how they position these films in terms of release date. But everything else, I totally agree with what well, you just said. What's exciting about that? Like, if you think Lin Manuel Miranda seem, seemingly knocked it out of the park with In the Heights because it, it got a big budget and a lot of support. Uh, and it was it was and they're they're saving it so that it can make oodles of money uh, in this coming year. Obviously, he knocked Hamilton out of the park. Obviously, he wrote the hell out of the Moana music. Obviously, he's just had these home run after home. He's had these home runs in his career. Like, was this supposed? Was last year supposed to be the movie that got all the uh, some nominations and paved the way? I mean, I'm thinking about it like an Oscar pundit here. Was is this supposed to be his? his big Oscar breakout in a way. Sure. So I mean, that, that's exciting. So you never know. It's definitely going to be a huge year for him just based on everything we just said. But I absolutely agree with you that this will at minimum be a very popular film for Netflix, at least that opening weekend. And mm. everyone's going to tune in for it. And you're right. He at least will be a, a big ticket for Netflix with a, a high floor uh, that you know will be very enjoyable for a lot of people because that's what he does. So yes. you know, as long as he's got the right people, I'm sure he's going to get everyone that he <laughs> wants for this. Plus, with Imagine behind it, I I think he's going to be set up for success here. So I I look forward to this one. Another one to me, this man, I don't know why. I mean, I I'll get into why at least a little bit, but this next film is the one to me that of all the ones somehow just spoke to me. It was like this dark horse that, and I'm not just saying that because it's a Western, but a dark horse candidate to me that I just, I, I, I'm infatuated with everyone in this cast. It is so good uh, that I can't wait to see what they do with this. The Harder They Fall is the film. It is uh, co-written and directed by James Samuel, who um, obviously is not a name as far as like writer-director, but he is a, a multi-talented person, multifaceted person, musician, writer-director. He was the executive music consultant for The Great Gatsby. Uh, he's only made one other film, and it was a smaller picture, also a Western, um, with an all-black cast, which is what this seems to be. Uh, with Lakeith Stanfield, Regina King, as you mentioned before, Idris Alba, who apparently loves horses because uh, Concrete, Concrete Cowboy. Cowboy is coming out in a few weeks. <laughs> which I saw, which was good, yeah. 
And uh, Zazie Beats, Jonathan Majors, and Delroy Emin Effin Lindo <laughs> is back at it again on Netflix. I am here for it. Him and Majors together again after The Five Bloods. Lakeith Stanfield after an amazing turn on Judas and the Black Messiah. And Regina King coming right back into you know front and center after being behind the camera. Killing it with a Western-style drama which is about a man looking to exact revenge against the guy who murdered his parents. Super simple. I love modern Westerns. They don't do them a lot, and usually when they do, they speak to me really well. Mike, are you as enthusiastic about this movie as I am? Totally, and I'll be honest with you. We've had people tag us lately in in tweets predicting next year's oscars predicting this film the harder they fall so oh, yeah this is a movie on oscar radars out there certainly from 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 fans uh, of, of mmo and uh, you know mike and i are not really in the prediction business all the time uh, you know it's just not we we you know we try to have conversations about movies and we're like the talk radio for movie fans. That's like their new slogan right now. Anyway, <laughs> look, I think uh, I think this movie also has the goods in terms of the cast, in terms of uh, the the premise. The elevator pitch seems to to work, and it's it's something cool. Is it is it necessarily too grim? You know, with the revenge plot there, that 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 oh, that's going to work at the end of the day on the academy. I don't know. That's a red flag for me. But, you know, it's worked before with the un, uh, with Unforgiven with with other westerns back in the day. The westerns not necessarily hot right now. I don't know, man. I I'll just be honest, but at the same time this cast, I will watch this cast do anything. I think these are some of our favorite actors on the planet right now, and this is an example of what we said earlier. This is an example and what we've said throughout the year. This is an example of Netflix giving a big budget seemingly if you have this cast it's a big budget sure this is them giving a big budget to a craftsperson who's had a career um behind the camera and, and the music departments and and, and in other not directing films so this, this is them shepherding a new talent new blood in the business and that is not only exciting i mean it's risky but it's exciting and uh it's it's and it's just something else to pat Netflix on the back for. It's it's just them supporting the film community and the independent film community, community, which we weren't necessarily sure going all the way back that they would continue to do or, or feel the need to continue to do. But here, as flush as they are, they are supporting new filmmakers. So the next film is a movie that got pushed back, uh, a movie that was supposed to be coming out in 2020. I think we might have talked about it a little on that episode. This is Blonde. We are talking about it uh, because of Ana de Armas, who is going to be playing Norma Jean, a.k.a. Marilyn Monroe, uh, in this film, which is a fictionalized chronicle of the inner life of Marilyn Monroe based on the novel by Joyce Carol Oates. And it is a movie brought to you by Andrew Dominic. He's the writer-director here. He's known for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and killing them softly. Adrian Brody's here, Garrett Dillahunt, Bobby Cannavale. Um, it's a movie that, as he said, contains little dialogue and has described the film as being an avalanche of images and events. Um, uh, I've heard things about... <laughs> Ana de Armas spending nine months trying to perfect the voice. It's got to be difficult for her, you know, like kind of transitioning, you know, just Isn't that a conflicting 
sentiment that it's it's just a lot of Im- avalanche of images and events, but she's trying to perfect a voice. I know it's very puzzling to me too. Um, but you know, <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out where it's going. I don't know if they uh, they said the script contained little dialogue. I don't know if anything changed within production. Uh, this was a movie that was in. Uh, Naomi Watts and Jessica Chastain's laps before uh, they had to bow out for different times before it finally got to Ana de Armas. Uh, what do you think about this, Mike? Like everything that I'm reading here, I'm very conflicted. <laughs> red flags. There are red flags. I mean, the picture of her as uh, Marilyn Monroe came out, and you t- would typically say that, oh my God, this looks so much like her. Or, oh my God, this doesn't look anything like her. And it was kind <laughs> right. of a meh reception from film Twitter. It was a meh reception from a lot of people out there we had heard rumors that blonde was coming out this year and you know you wonder why that didn't happen they, they would seemingly have all the incentive in the world to a more open race you know put anna de armas a huge newly minted star into that race it, it did again it didn't didn't happen you and i also have some reservations with the filmmaker we were talking about andrew dominic not necessarily our cup of tea like we're not yeah. the fans of Robert Ford or killing them softly as many people on film Twitter are now I haven't revisited those films in years so I don't know but I yeah I have some reservations about this movie but it could be you know it still could be a big hit you know we've seen movies with you know tumultuous production stories and this doesn't even have that necessarily I'm just pointing out a few red flags we've seen them come out and 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 just make us look like idiots before so that's why again I'm measured trying to be (laughs) measured here and 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 talk a lot yeah Talk on both sides of my mouth, every one of these. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a lot of film Twitter catnip here to to get people excited. But yeah, like you said, a lot of red flags. Not the biggest fan uh, of the writer-director here, and, and we'll see where it comes going forward. But like you said, if it's in the pile of movies that Ana de Armas uh, is going to have this year, I think it's going to be something that's going to be talked about at least a lot in in its moment. Uh, the next film is untitled at the moment. It's the untitled Sandra Bullock, Nora Fingstein. Uh, take that one for me, Mike, because I know you're a fan. Fingshite? Fingshite? Uh, she directed System Crasher yeah. with, with Helena Zangle, the first movie of, of Helena Zangle to, to hit the zeitgeist, and it was incredible. It's a movie about the foster care system of Germany, and I, I recommend it. It's a tough watch. It's Netflix, but, uh, baby. Uh, we, we didn't cover awesome, it because it was awesome not. It, it's one of those where they got the U.S. rights or, or certain territories. So it's not officially kind of like a Netflix film. But it is a movie that if you live in the U.S., it currently lives on, on Netflix right now. So you could dial that one up. Um, but this movie, I, I'm more interested uh, because I haven't seen that film in not only the cast that's involved, but the writer, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, who is an amazing screenwriter, Usual Suspects, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, the later Mission Impossible movies like Fallout and Top Gun Maverick, which is set to come out this year too, is something that uh, he is the writer and maybe the director. I don't remember whether he's directing that one too. Maybe. Um, No, it's Tom Cruise. They've made me take a second glance. I know, exactly. Uh, But (laughs) as noted in the untitled Sandra Bullock uh, intro, 
Sandra Bullock's the star of this film. She plays Ruth Slater, uh, who is a woman released from prison after serving a sentence for a violent crime and re-enters a society that refuses to forgive her past. It is based on the UK miniseries Unforgiven, written by Sally Wainwright. And if you look up all the critical scores for the UK miniseries, awesome. Off the charts. Eight, wow. Like eight, eights and nines all over the place. High, high marks. So... At least with somebody like Christopher McQuarrie writing it and coming from something that has a lot of a lot of meat on the bone, being that it was a three or four part miniseries, I think they could definitely have something here. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I loved the director's former work. I think uh, I think the the TV basis can only help it. And and look, I mean, Chloe Zhao come came off of two films, even though she. Well, then again, I'm looking at this uh, this filmography here, filmography, and it you know since 2009 she's been directing short films, and 2013 was her first feature. So, you know, she may well have that handful of really strong films on the independent film circuit. One that broke out like The Rider did right. for Chloe Zhao, and th- this might be following that same blueprint for an emerging filmmaker that could hit it out of the park here. So, yeah, I mean, this is one of those that you hope is good and, and it might be great. Yeah, I'm in, uh, and it makes me, it always it's nice to be reminded, like, oh, right, I have to watch System Crasher because you reminded, uh, you told me back then, you recommended that to me back uh, earlier in uh, 2020 right. to, to kind of take a chance on this. Well, Viola Davis, John Barenthal, Rob Morgan, uh, great and everything, Sandra Bullock, they are basically, you know, offering the support to the to the filmmaker and to the script, but just being cast in something like this. So that's, you know, all the confidence you need uh, for a project like this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it has Oscars written all over it, but it definitely has my has my interest. So uh, I will definitely be checking that out when that comes out later in the year. Uh, the next film is a movie that was supposed to come out. Uh, many times uh, <laughs> uh, by this point. Uh, it's been pushed back and pushed back and then acquired by Netflix uh, from the Fox-Disney Di- merger, one of the last remnants of that. This movie is called The Woman in the Window, uh, starring Amy Adams and Gary Oldman, uh, with supporting from Julianne Moore, Anthony Mackie, Brian Tyree Henry, and Jennifer Jason Lee. It's directed by Joe Wright, who many people will know from his period piece stuff like atonement and pride and prejudice as well as the darkest hour uh a lot of people there's a trailer for this movie (laughs) that has uh came out already so a lot of people might be familiar with this one already uh it's about an agoraphobic woman living alone in new york uh who begins spying on her new neighbors only to witness a disturbing act of violence a lot of kind of rear window vibes coming off this film um Mm -hmm. it's an adaptation of aj finn Finn's best-selling novel, uh, which sold more than a million copies here in the U.S., so a lot of people might be familiar with this one. Mike, what do you see here? It's been a it's been a complicated ride for this one. We have been covering it on Mike, Mike, and Oscar for like over a year now. It just feels like the the antithesis of what I just said about a great <laughs> cast giving a show of support to a director and to a project, and it doesn't seem to be working out. But look, we have seen Fox properties owned by Disney that have gotten a lot of bad buzz 
become huge hits and huge Oscar contenders. So they did have a big thing with the, you know, the screenings for the woman in the window being too complex for viewers. So they're taking it back for, for, I don't know if it reshoots, but definitely a re-edit. Look, I mean, when I see a Gary Oldman, Amy Adams, Joe Wright property, I think, how can this be bad? Yeah. And I see a, you know, it's ba- it's adapted from a, a New York Times bestseller that has been on that list forever. Again, I wonder if my audiobook taste says maybe it's not that good because I never <laughs> wanted to buy the audiobook and I listened to a lot of the audiobooks. Uh, I used to anyway. Now it's all podcasts. So this this movie has had just a, a, a tumultuous backstory and the fact that disney sold it to netflix makes you wonder especially with how disney has just have they have that sixth sense they've they've always had they're not necessarily uh in paramount's position you know going going under new management etc etc even though this is a crossover from the fox deal so i'm skeptical that this is going to play and that release date you know, that release date doesn't give me a lot of hope that it's something more than we feared. Yeah, they just put that out there that it's going to be in May, right? Yeah. So this is probably not necessarily the Oscars play, but is it going to be a cool-ass thriller still? Did they recut it and make it a cool-ass thriller? You never know. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are, like you said, success stories in modern versions. There's success stories from older versions like... Like Rambo is one of my favorite, like First Blood is one of my favorite things where it was this bloated mess that, you know, Stallone <laughs> just said, nope, just do this one thin storyline. Story yeah. And it became this huge <laughs> success. These things can happen. And they they said that the movie, they tested it really early because it was a complex novel. It's a complex adaptation. So they wanted to get it right. So it could be a whole lot to do about nothing. Um, but we'll see. I hope for the best because I wanted to see it when the trailer came out, but then all the rumors started to come and, and now we're seeing potential red flags. Well, the new mutants is probably a far cry from whatever this movie is. Sure. But the new mutant mutants kind of got butchered a little bit at the end of the day. Yeah. And I don't know if that was the filmmakers not being able to do the reshoots that they wanted and Disney basically putting a cap on it. But the fact that this has gone to Netflix and the fact that Netflix has been showing such support for its filmmakers, maybe just wanting to get Joe Wright in the building now. Yeah. Uh, for this because he's made one great movie after the next Uh, you know maybe they give him the leeway to fix it the money to fix it and and maybe he does fix it so i I, you know i'm i'm not gonna crush it yet and obviously until we see it here a couple more here uh, uh, real quick uh hallie berry is also doing her directorial debut in a film that they acquired out of tiff uh back in the fall uh this is called bruised uh, she is also starring in here. It follows a former MMA fighter struggling to regain custody of her son and restart her athletic career. Um, music by Terrence Blanchard. Uh, she, her character's name is Jackie Justice, which makes me want to laugh and throw up and everything else. I'm hoping <laughs> that that is her MMA fighter name and not her actual character's name. But um, did you hear anything out of TIFF whether... Uh, this might have some legs, or is this just Netflix wanting to be in the Halle Berry camp? I heard buzz, at, at positive reviews, right? And, and you know, you can look up the scores and whatnot. I mean, it, it does have positive reviews. Uh, I don't necessarily know if it's an Oscars player 
you know, it was kind of bought around when the, all these other acquisitions were made, Malcolm and Marie and uh, Pieces of a Woman. So right. you, you, I, at the time when Mike and I covered it, we figured it was going to be one of the late-breaking Netflix films uh, for this award season. So the fact that they didn't put it out during this season makes me wonder. Maybe they – but then again, maybe they view it as a Best Actress vehicle and maybe – you know, they saw that this year's Best Actress category was just loaded with a, 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 just a battle royale of great actresses. Yeah. You know, so maybe maybe that's why they pushed it, but they definitely pushed it for a reason, I'm guessing. So, uh, you know, I, I thought I saw it was getting released early this year, though, too. So that makes me worry a little bit. I haven't seen a release date for that one okay. yet. Um, I think this one maybe was listed as mid at best but it, i think it's you know it's in the can it was in the sizzle reel like they're they're ready to go so i, I would press play on this tomorrow though i tell you that much. oh absolutely i'm intrigued yeah. i mean i i can't remember the last time i saw a halle berry movie that she, especially that she was the star of uh so i'd have to go back again you know x-men be damned of course but you know <laughs> <laughs> but i don't have anything right at the top of my brain maybe the last time where she was front and center maybe uh, getting some love from like John Wick or Kingsman or something, but you know nothing to where she was the story. Uh, so I think I'll be she was interested. a nine one one operator, right? The last time she had a movie of the week. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, oh so I'll look forward to that. I will press play on that as well. Um, another movie. Uh, we'll 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 blow through this a little bit fast because I'm trying to set up maybe an animated preview episode later on, uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks. Um, but one of them we we teased. We did in a in an episode where we went over some news and acquisition stuff uh, over the summer, I believe. Um, Apollo Ten and a Half, which is an animated. I'm going to say that with a high-pitched, weird voice because it's kind of this live-action animation in a way in a uh, Waking Life uh, version uh, from right. Richard Linklater here, written and directed by him, um, starring Zach Zachary Levi, Jack Black, and Glenn Powell. Um, it's a coming-of-age story set in the suburbs of Houston, Texas in the summer of 1969, centered around the historic... Apollo 11 moon landing. And this is something that's a kind of a more personal story for Linklater. This is kind of, you know, borrowing from his childhood, his experiences as a kid in Texas around that time. So I, I'm interested from that effect. I didn't love the animation style of say like a waking life or, or something that was similar at the time, like maybe a scanner darkly or other, other versions of that. So I'm hoping as time has progressed, so as the animation will also be progressed. Um, what do you think about this one, Mike? You know, I just go on uh, Richard Linklater's reputation with me. Like, I love the Before Trilogy so much, and I love Everybody Wants Some so much. And there's like a handful of Linklater films that are just, I just think, the world of. And then movies like Where'd You Go, Bernadette, or even Boyhood, which I thought got overrated. I don't think it's as, as bad as some people would say, but I I had a rough time with Boyhood. It's just very, you know, anti-narrative. And it just, sure. It didn't work as a story junkie for me. Uh, I, even though I, you know, I think the, you know, the I, I want to see the documentary about Boyhood more than I want to rewatch Boyhood. Right. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, 
I love and despise Richard Linklater, so I don't no idea <laughs> if this is going to fall into one of those two categories for me, or if it'll be somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Yeah, it'll be an interesting play. Uh, we might bring that up a little bit more when we do the uh, the animation episode, but it's definitely uh, got me intrigued, especially if uh, you know another big time director doing a personal story and Netflix scoops it up. That seems to be their mo, and this yeah. is something that uh, they're going to use to do that. Um, and of course I, I can't, we can't leave without talking about <laughs> documentaries cause we, we we're getting old and we love these things and we just came off one of the best documentary years in a while. So that's also encouraging. But what I will say is that nothing screams like how Dick Johnson was coming out of Sundance at this time last year or Crip Camp was coming out of Sundance this time last, last year. So we mm-hmm. knew that they had something in the can that was going to be this big, you know, Oscar play with, you know, the Obamas and all these other people, like the names of things that you can latch on to, to go, yeah, I can, he- I can see where that could be a big deal later on. We don't know really, Mike. I mean, like there was one movie that we both saw that we both enjoyed uh, Misha and the wolves that was acquired out of Sundance for them. Uh, a really well-constructed movie with, a lot of twists and turns in the storyline bordering along. I wouldn't call it true crime, but it's kind of got those beats. It's got that narrative mm-hmm, structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's directed by Sam Hopkinson, who did fear city, New York versus the mafia that was on Netflix last year. Um, you know, so that has me intrigued, but the only other two that um, I, and I'll let you speak on that film in a second, but the only other two that I wrote down here were, uh, is a film that's coming out in like a week and a half with Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal, which is done by uh, the Fire Festival director, Chris Smith. He was also the executive producer for Tiger King. So he knows how to twist the knife and get these <laughs> character-driven, crazy uh, documentaries to, to pop on netflix for sure um lori laughlin and her friends gonna get roasted mike uh in just a week and a half here (laughs) but the one that i think if it does come to fruition i think might be more front and center and that's uh a documentary that we'll talk about uh the attorney civil rights attorney ben crump uh from kenya barish the blackish uh and girls trip writer creator here um he's He's a civil rights lawyer representing George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, and many others. Uh, Al Sharpton has called him the Black America's Attorney General. You have the director of Becoming, which was a success uh, uh, this past year for Netflix as well. Um, it, It was only announced back in August, so it might be a late play for 2021. Of these ones that I mentioned, Mike, is there anything that pops out for you? Anything that you're excited for? Well, as a Oscar pundit, untitled Ben Crump documentary is that movie as uh, someone who just loves to watch documentaries that are ripped from the headlines. And I will watch every fire festival or every yeah. Tiger King. I will love and I will watch those movies all the time. Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal, you know, and, and Misha and the Wolves to a lesser extent, even though it's a lesser or because it's a lesser known story. Those are those types of movies. And they're very uh, and, and Misha and the Wolves is very 
very worth watching and i'm expecting operation varsity blues to be that you know you just got to click on it kind of documentaries on netflix for old fogies like you and me so yeah let just, the last things i'll say about documentaries they can come any time of year uh, these oscar contenders crip camp came out when last march was it we reviewed it together and obviously american factory was an august release and they yeah. had you know the the other um uh, the Brazilian uh, documentary that was nominated last year that I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the names, excuse me, but that came out like even even earlier than American Factory. So these movies could come along. Edge of uh, Democracy is what you're talking about? Edge of Democracy, yeah. thank you. So these, these movies come throughout the calendar, and usually there's a couple at the beginning of the calendar coming off that Sundance bump. So you never know. Like Misha and the Wolves, I don't necessarily think it's one of these Oscar play documentaries, but I do think it's a, a very satisfying you know, uh, story. If if you uh, talk about story nerds, if you love stories, uh, this one has the twists and turns for you, as you said. Yeah. So I I, I think I'm intrigued on all three of them. Uh, like you said, Oscar lens probably lends towards uh, Kenya Barris here and, and the story about Ben Crump. I agree with a lot of what you said. And, and I love Becoming, too, by the way, the Michelle Obama doc. So she she's got the ability yeah. as a filmmaker. So very well done. Uh, and they have some other stuff here. We'll, we'll just burn through it quick. You have The Starling, uh, which is a movie from <laughs> director Theodore Malfi, who did Hidden Figures in St. Vincent. Um, a movie that, as I told you, sounds reminiscent to Penguin Bloom, but I hope it's a much better version uh, well, of something like that and less the saccharine. Yeah, the premise seems polarizing. Let's just say in the premise, because you have a grief-stricken family, and then you have the, the wife played by Melissa McCarthy battling a bird. So it could be hilarious and it could be terif- it could be grief-stricken like I said. So St. Vincent dramedy, Bill Murray, uh, Melissa McCarthy, Naomi Watts, Hidden Figures had had a few laughs in it even though big Oscar play, Theodore Melfi as a director. Uh, so Davi Diggs, Kevin Klein, great cast here as you said, uh so I, you know, this is a movie that might, at the end of the day, if the Starling is Netflix's first best picture <laughs> contender, we said it here first, folks. Our first best picture winner, rather. So you never know. You never know. Maybe this doesn't work as the elevator pitch best picture winner, but maybe something like this winds up hitting at the end of the day. Because I mean, again, the careers stack up, and if they knock it out of the park, they knock it out of the park. Mike and I previewed this movie like two years ago. It feels like Starling. <laughs> yeah. Go figure, right? And yeah, totally. And, and this is of course the second movie, uh, for Melissa McCarthy after Thunder Force will be out next month, I believe. Uh, so, you know, she's, you're getting both sides of her, the, the dramedy the, and the full on action comedy. You get all of what she's capable of, uh, coming up this year. Um, you got the power of the dog, which I love this cast. Um, mm. This is from the writer director Jane Campion, who did the piano and Top of the Lake recently. Um, stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Thomasin McKenzie. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff to like here, so I definitely wanted to put that in the mix. Not a lot of details on it at this point. Um, but but that's a big name. I mean, Jane huge. Campion, uh, yeah, of the piano. So and it's a pioneering female filmmaker. Uh, so the power of the dog with that cast, with that pedigree, I would look out for it for certain. And Top of the Lake was well rewarded and awarded uh, in the TV award season, especially of 2018 Golden Globes limited series. Elizabeth Moss, Holly Hunter, there Emmy, uh, you know, SAG noms. Yeah, it was involved. 
Yeah. And then you have uh, a couple of, you know, films that, you know, they're in the John David Washington camp. I mean, Malcolm and Marie just came out. Uh, then they're going to have, uh, he's starring in a thriller about a vacationing couple who falls trapped to a violent conspiracy with, <laughs> with tragic consequences in a movie called Born to be Murdered. Um, Scary title. I oh know. I, I, that movie, that title's been batted around I think it was originally called something else, and now it's born to be murdered or vice versa. So we'll see what they land on. But definitely John David Washington, love. I would love him in another thriller. Uh, he's got the chops for that for sure. And then Monster is set to come out, uh, I believe, in two or three weeks now. Um, it was acquired out of Sundance in 2018. It's a drama starring Calvin Harrison Jr., Jennifer Hudson, jdw as we said and jeffrey wright so look for we'll cover that uh definitely in the next couple weeks i think because it's right around when uh concrete cowboys so i'm thinking we're going to do a a double feature for that one Hmm. in a in a few weeks and then another film uh worth that uh was acquired at a sundance in 2020 uh and kind of pocketed for the 20th anniversary of 9-11 uh this is a movie that is about the 9-11 Victims Fund starring Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci. Um, so that one, I think it's going to be an emotional play, the anniversary, everything in uh, for Netflix here in a smart play to, to try to have something around that time period with something that I know John Stewart has fought for years with uh, the 9-11 Victims Fund. Not sure exactly how they're going to play the narrative here, but I'm definitely in for it. Uh, I didn't hear a lot out of Sundance for that, though, so I have mixed thoughts about that. And, you know, of course, Mike, I know you're you're looking forward to uh, your YA titles, your Kissing Booth 3 and everything else. We'll save that for a different episode where you can really deep dive uh, on your love of those. But, you know, if you want to talk about The Hand of God, uh, you're the man to do it. Maybe a Best International <laughs> Feature play. Paolo Sorrentino, man, the Best International Feature winner with the great beauty. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily made a bad movie yet. He's with his normal go-to actor, too, Tony Servio. Uh, so they're reuniting for this one. So, uh, you never know. The Hand of God. He just did that uh, Pope, uh, the new Pope. So I mean, he's... This is right in his wheelhouse. You never know. This uh, He's quite the Italian filmmaker. And you can't finish this episode without talking about Diana, a new musical, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a new thing now that everybody seems to want to get their hands on where we're going to just do Broadway plays, you know, going either straight to streamers or, you know, uh, at least showing filmed versions of popular Broadway plays going to streamers. And this is the, the Netflix version uh, with this. And of course, what a better place from the home of the crown to be for Diana, a new musical. I would click play on Diana, a new musical right effing now without any hesitation, even though it's very late at night and we just did a record recording time, yeah. uh, even for us. <laughs> yes. A lot, yeah. I'm proud of us, though. A lot, of, a lot of material here and we burned right through it. I mean, I think, you know, if you want to know anything that's coming up on Netflix, you just found out. So congratulations, uh, even though we saved uh, a lot of the animation stuff for, for later on. So we'll tease you with that. Uh, but thank you so much, Mike. I mean, bottom line, I think it's going to be another solid year 
between the action preview we already did with huge titles there, plus uh, some of these prestige titles that are they're they're still packing them in here. They're not ignoring their award season fetish that they they have for this. They haven't put that to the side just yet. And I'm here for it. I love it. I'm glad for it because then I can uh, do more crossover episodes with you and Mike one and you guys do an excellent job and and tell the people I mean they should be used to you by now like you said uh, out every month but uh, tell the people what's coming up for MMO I mean it's award season and where they can find you well Mike Mike and Oscar.com should launch at some point this award season I always keep saying <laughs> that but uh, we really have done a lot of work on it and we got our episode library on there now we're just trying to to shape the rest of it uh, make sure it's all functional for you guys. So Mike, Mike and Oscar.com over the next month or so, we are uh, going to cover every big beat of award season going forward. And we've, we've done so up till now. We got a big week this particular week with uh, the Oscar nominations predictions, Oscar nominations on Monday. So this is a uh, perfect timing for, for a collab because we, this is the heat of our season right now with uh you know, w- with these nominations coming out and, and then Mike and I kind of go into our usual programming with the category overview. So from the nominations, we go through, you know, all of the major categories and we bring on a ton of guests. We got a bunch of them booked already. A lot of familiar, you know, some familiar faces and some, uh, you know, uh, awards experts that we have not spoken to yet. So we got a lot of Oscar people coming on, which is exciting. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, we always love to pick their brains and we, we, you know, we'll parrot them throughout the year. I learned something every time we get a, a Feinberg or an Ann Thompson on and it's uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. So, so we got the, the genuine articles coming on the show, not like you and I, no, no offense to you <laughs> and I, but uh, no, I mean, we, we, I just, I, there's nowhere else I could talk for two hours uh, about a uh, hundred different subjects and, and get as much accomplished and as little accomplished as you and I did today. So I really appreciate, because I mean, look, we did two hours and we may not have found Netflix's best picture yet, but we, we may have found uh, 10 big wins. We don't know. So this is, uh, this is my measured sign out after a measured episode where I'm very hesitant. Again, I'm not the predictions guy. I'm not that Oscar. I'm not the Feinberg forecaster. Sorry. That's Mr. Feinberg. He's got that block. Yeah. But I will tell you this. I think, uh, I think I love having conversations about, uh, these awards movies, uh, at any stage of the game. And, uh, certainly, you know, Mike and I do it year round and we have Andrew Morgan on Mike, Mike and Oscar year round as well for that reason. For sure. And I, I would assume you'll also be doing some kind of preview of 2021, yes. uh, after the Oscars in freaking April, Mike. So uh, yeah, in month five of the year, we'll have our 2021 <laughs> year in preview show. We can't even get there yet, but yeah, exactly. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for this, Mike. Uh, very thank few you, people can uh, trudge through these with me and, and, and actually enjoy themselves. So I appreciate you coming on. I had a blast. Thank you again. Thank you.